the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya. We'd love to have you as a subscriber, so just hit that subscribe button and never miss an episode of Sideline Sanity. Young people today are, some are, it's kind of hard to read them. I mean, they love the handouts that the government is giving them, but not all of them do. Not all of them do. There is a growing youth movement in the conservative party. And one of the people who is at the forefront is a, is a guy named CJ Pearson. He's just 20 years old as we get ready to interview him today. He turns 21 later this year. He works for Prager University. If you know of it, you know of it. It's a, a he does these videos and, and wraps up the week and all the stories. Happens to be black, happens to be from the South. Uh, was attending Alabama when he got called away to join Prager University with a full-time job. He's been politically active since he says he was six or seven years old. Came on the national and even international scene when he was 13 years old. Now at the ripe old age of 20, he's had years to review politics in America. He's gone from living in the South to living on the West Coast. And he's seen a lot and he's done a lot. And he's here to tell us what he thinks the problems are with people of his side, the conservatives, people on the other side. And uh, we'll talk reparations. We'll talk CRT. You'll want to hear from this kid. He's impressive. He is next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. CJ, welcome. You're a ripe old 20 years old now uh, <laughs> and, and working for Prager University. How did that relationship develop? How did you find yourself at Prager? Yeah, well, you know, my first interaction with PragerU was when I was actually just a little kid. You know, I grew up in a household with very different politics than the one that I have today. But I was very curious about what the other side believed. And I remember when I was just starting to figure out what conservatism was, what conservatism meant, I actually turned to PragerU videos, which have been um, incredibly formative for my experiences and, and have just honestly helped me leapfrog into what I do today. And, you know, when I was a freshman in college, which wasn't that long ago, I think just two years ago, um, I actually did a five minute video for PragerU about the importance of 9-11. Um, a video that was actually incredibly important to me because of the fact that I actually wasn't even alive during 9-11, but still believe that the lessons uh, that we took away from that day should continue to remain on the forefront of our minds as the American people, especially as we get further and further further away from it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I wasn't even alive back then. But, you know, as you know, there 
children born every day who, who aren't, right? And so I think that the lessons of unity, the lessons of patriotism that you should derive from that day um, could not be more important than, than they are today, especially with everything going on in the country. Uh, and so that has been my journey from there. And, and now I work full time, uh, left the University of Alabama to come to work here at PragerU. And it's been an incredible opportunity. Uh, and, and it's been great work because I think that if we're really going to ensure that conservative values continue to win the day and then the conservative movement continues to grow, we've got to reach young people. We've got to not just preach to the choir, but we've got to grow the congregation. Well, it's interesting because you were very young when you started posting things on YouTube. I think you were 13 years old, if not younger. And you grew up, like you said, in the South. Obviously, you're black. So I'm wondering how you turned to conservatism because, you know, frankly, the numbers are sort of imbalanced in that way in the South. There are a lot more blacks who are Democrats, or am I wrong? No, you're exactly right. 93% of the black community votes for the Democrat candidate every single election cycle. But what was interesting about my upbringing is that, you know, I was raised by my grandparents who had very conservative values. Now, they didn't vote that way. They also voted for progressive Democrat candidates, um, but they were conservatives themselves. I went to church every single Sunday. I learned about the importance of faith and family every single day. I learned about the value of a dollar, the importance of work ethic, and the fact that if I didn't work for it, no one would ever, ever give anything to me. Uh, And so when it came down to choosing which side I believed in or which side I would support, it was a no brainer for me. And I think that it also has to do a lot with my age, though. I was a young kid when I started thinking about these issues. I was seven or eight years old when I, um, you know, cast my first vote or so in my second grade class for president in a mock election where I really started to think, like, am I a Republican? Am I a Democrat? What is that? Well, who did you vote for that year? I voted for John McCain. I don't know if I would have voted the same way, um, you know, in recent years, but I did back then. And it was in large part because of the fact that I wasn't blinded by identity politics. You know, I hadn't been confronted by this radical notion and, and to be quite frank, ridiculous idea that the color of my skin should dictate my politics. My values did. And so it wasn't a, a, a leap for me to embrace conservatism. It was something that felt actually incredibly natural. And how do your grandparents feel about that now? Because as you said, even though they are conservative, they tend to vote Democrat. And I would imagine now that you're of voting age, you're not necessarily voting Democrat. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. Um, you know, what was interesting about that is that when I first started doing all of this, they definitely thought it was just a phase. You know, I was, uh, I think my first video that I ever made, I was 12 years old. I just got a camcorder for Christmas. Uh, and I was just, you know, I was like, Hey, I'm going to go talk about why I believe President Obama is just an, just a complete failure of a president. And, you know, I didn't have a YouTube channel. I didn't have any subscribers, didn't have any followers. I had, you know, my political involvement to that point had been knocking on doors and making phone calls for a local congressional campaign. And I made that video and it went absolutely viral. I didn't tell them about it or anything like that. But funny story about that is that my, you know, my grandfather loved at the time to hate watch Sean Hannity. And so he had it like playing in the background and Sean literally goes and he introduces my video and he's like, this video is going viral on the internet. Here's 12 year old CJ Pearson. And he yells from upstairs. He's like, CJ, get up here right now. How dare you talk about the first black president like this and all of this stuff. And I'm just like, it's just simply what I believe. And he was like, well, you're going to go delete this video right now. And so I pretended to delete it. Thankfully, my grandparents are a little bit older. They didn't really know their way around YouTube. So I didn't actually delete the video. Funny story about that. But, you know, it, 
it, it definitely, you know, when I was younger, it was it was a lot more tense. I think they were just genuinely like, you know, you're you're just, you know, you're being silly, you're being misled. You don't yeah. actually know why you believe these things. And I think as I got older and as I continued to remain involved in conservative politics, they were like, okay, maybe this actually isn't a phase. Maybe he actually believes this. And, and now I think it's all in good fun. You know, they'll send me links to, you know, um, you know, bad news stories about conservatives. I'll send them bad news stories about Joe Biden or whatever else, and we'll just, you know, have fun with it. But I think it's also, you know, something I, I, I rib them about sometimes. I'm like, guys, you really can't complain about me being a conservative. You guys made me this way. All those trips to church, all those lectures about, you know, we're not spending this much money or whatever else, even though we have it. You did this to me. You did this to me. So you don't get to complain now. Well, how do you find that works out then that they instill conservatism through values in you? And yet they don't identify as conservatives. I find that that disconnect rather interesting. And I'm wondering if you can pinpoint what breaks down there. Well, I think it's the it's the cognitive dissonance, right? I think that is a unfortunately very pervasive thing in the black community, but it's really seen throughout many others, including amongst young people and also even women voters, right? You have the left that has always portrayed itself to be, uh, you know, the ideology of the underdogs and that they're the advocates for the unheard and all of these things. And a lot of people, unfortunately, in my community believe it. And I think that, you know, oftentimes when I have that conversation with them, I'm like, look at the state of black America in every inner city in America. Look at Chicago, look at Detroit, look at, uh, you know, places like Ferguson and all these other places. And you tell me if progressive policies are actually serving black and brown people. And then they're like, wait, I don't think they are. Because if you look at the city of Chicago, for example, where there are 55 schools in the, in the district that neither are proficient in reading or math, tell me how that's saving and protecting black children. Uh, if you look at you know other cities where they're trying to defund the police, a policy that disproportionately affects inner city black and brown uh, communities, tell me how that's serving black people. And when you ask them that, there's never really an answer. And so I think that that's really been the biggest issue here. Is well, that- do you ever run into that when you ask that question and they don't necessarily have an answer, but they find a way to shift blame to the other side somehow and say yeah. that, you know, because that seems to me to be the, the shell game there. Somehow politicians are able to shift blame and suddenly say, well, it was the Republicans and the conservatives and the whatever who were defunding the police when that is just so patently false, but they managed but- to sell these messages. Yeah, it's insane. Like the left, you know, one thing that will tell, you know, I'll give them credit for is that they are supremely good at gaslighting people. They, they, they can, they can lie, um, without any shame. Uh, and it's something of which that we just aren't too good at doing on the right, which is probably a virtue to be quite frank. But, you know, it's, it, it's disgusting. Seriously, how deceitful they are and, and the, in the way in which they lie to in the faces of black people, young people, women, they pretend to be advocates for them when they don't do anything to actually serve them. You know, how can you advocate for women? when you are okay with transsexual individuals, you know, now overtaking women's sports? How can you be an advocate for young people uh, when you're willing to send billions of dollars to Ukraine, but not to actually protect our children in schools here at home? And how can you be an advocate for black people when you're seeking to defund the police and also not support policies like school choice, which give educational freedom that allow them to escape failing schools and and, and, and embrace opportunity? You you can't, you just simply can't. It's interesting. Now, there was a point in your life, and we're going to get to it after this break, where you were campaigning for Ted Cruz and something happened. We'll get into that because CJ may have sort of encountered a bump in the road along his journey. That's after this. 
So I want to take a moment to share with you the skincare product line that I use because I get asked about it so often and it's really flattering to hear people say that. So it's my pleasure to introduce you to GenuCell if you haven't yet heard about it. It's an antioxidant based skincare company that's manufactured right here in the United States of America, formulated by a pharmacist with really high quality ingredients. And what they do is they smooth out the fine lines and wrinkles and they prevent new ones from, from coming. So let me tell you about one of my favorites. It's the Deep Firming Serum with stem cell technology. You put this stuff on a cleansed face and your skin automatically just feels plump and toned and beautiful. And I, I also cleanse with the Deep Sea Cleanser, which is soap free. And I never knew how much that would make a difference until I used this deep sea cleanser from Genucel. Again, soap-free. So once you've cleansed your skin, you just feel like your skin is brand new and that there's not none of that film on there that soap generally leaves. Well, here's some good news because right now I can tell you how to save over 70% off Genucel's most popular package. And this is just in time for the warm spring weather. It features Genucel's Ultra Retinol that contains a powerful retinol alternative, safe on your skin in the summer sun. It also includes GenuCell's dark spot corrector to reduce the appearance of those dark marks and sunspots that we get from long summer days outdoors. Plus, you'll still get GenuCell's classic under eye bags therapy for those, you know what I'm talking about, those annoying puffiness and bags underneath your eyes. And with its immediate effects, you'll see results in as little as 12 hours guaranteed or your money back. How good is that? Don't wait. Visit GenuCell.com slash Michelle, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Michelle. Save over 70% off their most popular package. Plus, every order subscription includes a luxury gift box with two free springtime essentials. So that's two free gifts plus free concierge shipping for a limited time. Go to GenuCell.com slash Michelle. Again, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Michelle with one L, M-I-C-H-E-L-E. You'll love it. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, CJ. So I referenced this. You're campaigning, I think, Teens for Ted, supporting Ted Cruz back when he was running for president in 2016. But something happened. I'll let you tell the story. What what was the moment where you sort of questioned things? Yeah. So I think I think the story you're referring to is when I once supported Bernie Sanders, you know, which was a departure for me, uh, you know, from the values that I, I really have long embraced. And, you know, oftentimes I talk about it a lot now. Never thought I would have been a victim of it ever. But it, it's just really the, the rampant and pervasive indoctrination that we see in, in so many of our schools today. 
But also it was the fact that I was a young kid, really honestly trying to impress my parents, trying to earn their validation. Even as someone who was as headstrong as me, even as someone who was as confident as me, it was something that I really did have to contend with even at that young age of 13 when I made that decision to do so. Um, but I realized shortly after saying that I liked Bernie Sanders and supported him and all of these things that I actually didn't. That the values that I had, that the values that my grandparents had given me were conservative values and they always would be conservative values. And that I was actually doing more of a disservice to the lessons they had taught me by embracing a politician that I had no faith in. Embracing a politician who, whose policies I believe were an actually a net negative for our country and the American people than actually doing what they've always taught me to do, which is stand up for the truth and fight for what I believe in, regardless of who it offends and who it may anger. Uh, and so... I made my way back home. And, and I think that it gave me the resolve to go through high school, to go through college and never, ever waver again, because I never worried about making sure my professors liked me. I never cared about, you know, angering people because I was a supporter of President Trump or, you know, I never, you know, I was afraid to be politically incorrect. I just simply spoke the truth, not my truth. But the, the, the objective truth, which I think has been there has been such a war on in our country today. And I got to say that it, it, it makes me relate, honestly, to a lot of kids who go through the educational system, who go through college, who go through high school and do fall prey to the indoctrination. But what I think that there is to be said is that there is hope to be had, because I think that, you know, oftentimes what we say at PragerU is that education got us into this mess and education will get us out of it. And I think that's incredibly true. We have a warped education system today, uh, guided by the mistruths of things like critical race theory and just blatant leftist indoctrination. But if we can tell people about the truth, the real truth about America, about American exceptionalism and the role it's played in the liberation all throughout the world, I think that more and more young people will believe that conservatism isn't just right, uh, isn't just the right choice, but it's the only choice. There, I think it should be some explanation from you uh, to our viewers and listeners as to why you supported Trump out of all those candidates. Or was it once he won the primary that you supported him? Yeah. So it was once I was, once he won the primary, I think I, I, at that point, I think that he had basically locked up all the delegates and whatnot. So I uh, went went to work with him and it was it was great. You know, during the primary supported uh, Senator Cruz, who continues to do incredible work in the Senate. And um, I think for me, the thing that brought me to 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 Trump and the same reason I liked, you know, Senator Cruz was that they don't really care about being liked, right? You know, they, they, they went up there to disrupt the establishment, to change the system. And it's something of which I have a lot of respect for. I think that if we're actually going to wrestle back this country and bring it and return it back to the way in which it was meant to be a government for the people, by the people, we can't serve the establishment. We can't serve the uniparty. We need people who aren't afraid to cause a ruckus. And uh, those two guys are definitely pretty good at that, to say the least. Well, it, it, there are some who accuse you then of after the 2020 election of Joe Biden that you spoke out in what they like to label the big lie, which is that the election was stolen. What do you still believe that? Well, I believe in election integrity, and I think that the integrity of our elections are paramount and incredibly important. And I think that it is interesting that, you know, those in the left will accuse conservatives who have concerns about election integrity of being proponents of the so-called big lie. When you have folks like Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, folks like, you know, who, who well, I'll, I'll call her Governor Stacey Abrams because apparently she thinks that she is, um, who refused to concede the election in 2018, 
for days, but never were they called election deniers, never were they called proponents of the so-called big lie. And so here's the deal. Uh, you know, America is a nation founded upon a respect for a democracy, a respect for fair and free elections. And I will never, ever apologize for being an advocate of that. And I think that the integrity of our elections is paramount uh, to the American experience and the American dream. Who would you like to see run for president on the conservative side, on the Republican side in 2024? We know that Trump's declared, Vivek Ramaswamy has declared, Nikki Haley has declared. We're expecting that uh, Governor DeSantis will probably declare. uh, We are hearing rumblings as of this week uh, uh, from Chris Christie. And he is certainly, I think, a personality who could stand toe-to-toe with Donald Trump. How much of a variation is there among those candidates and what they stand for in terms of winning you over to to support them? You know, well, I'm super excited about the, you know the, the primary. I think it's going to be a great uh, a great opportunity to just really showcase the diverse ideas and personalities that have emerged in our party. And I think that you know President Trump obviously is you know has a great record to run on, but you know so does Governor DeSantis, who has done incredible things in Florida. And the ideas that I've heard from Vivek Ramaswamy have been captivating, to say the least. And so I think that it is going to be a very very spirited primary. And I think that a primary will honestly lead to a nominee who is battle tested to go up to whoever the Democrats put up. And so I'm excited to to see where it leads. But for now, I'm keeping my powder dry and I'm looking forward to seeing where it leads. Well, let me ask you about uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. I have friends in Florida who accuse him of being a racist. They accuse him of uh, trying to cancel African-American you know, history in that state. Uh, when, in fact, he has made it required learning in high school. And so a lot of people, I think, ignore the facts and, and are taking away a sort of generalized opinion of what he's trying to do with the schools there. What do you, What is your opinion of him? And, and the NAACP, by the way, trying to say, don't it's not safe for black people to travel to Florida, which is a complete political you know, uh, stunt, I think, as many people have called it. But I want to get your take on all of that. You know, I think it's blatantly absurd. And I think that, you know, Governor Sanders is getting a lot of the same treatment that President Trump got in 2015, 2016, and still gets to this day, uh, where there will be people who just blatantly, uh, without any regard for the truth, um, seek to just absolutely uh, misportray his record. Uh, the governor isn't racist, uh, and he has not done anything to ban black history. CRT is not black history, and anyone who seeks to portray it as such is just blatantly lying. And also, too, I think that the thing that scares them most, the reason they feel the need to lie about Governor DeSantis, is that he's one of the most effective governors in the country. Yeah. This is a guy who's going after, you know, all age drag queen shows, a guy who's going after Woke Inc., a guy um, who is delivering for the people of Florida. And so I, I get why they're scared. I get why they're upset. Um, but the facts just actually don't line up with anything they're saying. Um, you know, it's not only safe for black people to move to Florida. It's actually safer for black people to live in Florida than probably any other progressive run city in America. And I think that's why so many people are moving to Florida, right? I don't think anyone would be moving to Florida if it was some... You know, wild, wild west. And so, quite frankly, yeah, I think it's it's all noise. And I think that, the you know, again, I think his astounding reelection uh, margin speaks to the fact that the people of Florida have a lot of confidence in our governor and will continue to do so. No question, particularly the numbers in Miami-Dade County, which were overwhelmingly swung in his favor. I should say which overwhelmingly swung in his favor. You've gone from living in the south to living in California. 
I've yeah. gone from being born and raised in Southern California to living in the Midwest. So you and I have both seen a lot of stuff. And I also spend part of the time in Florida. We have a, a place there as well. Mm. So you and I have seen a lot of different political environments and climates. And um, how do you find living in Southern California? It's definitely different. You know, I grew up in Georgia, uh, went to school to Alabama, and now I'm in LA, a place I never thought I would be. But it's interesting. And I think that for me, in, in my line of work and, and the, you know, daily fight that we're in to really ensure that America remains on the right track, it actually does a lot to affirm the work that I do, you know, to be reminded of what progressive actually looks like in practice is something that is very personally inspiring to me, personally energizing to me. You know, I don't want to live in a country where homeless encampments are a norm, where mm -hmm. violent crime is something that is just expected, or that rampant poverty is something that we just learn to live with. I believe that America is greater than that. And, and I've seen greater than that in places that I've lived. And so I know that this is not something that we have to accept. Uh, and, and so I think that it's actually been something of which that I'm actually proud of. I think that it's, it's, so interesting that Prairie View is here, but there's such an incredible reason for it. I think, you know, at the end of the day, conservatives, you know, I've heard this idea, you know, pushed by a lot of people. Conservatives need to like move to red states, leave blue states, all of these things. Uh, you know, we would not be the country we are today. We have actually never been a country if we had just retreated when things got tough. And so I think fighting in the belly of the beast here in LA has actually <laughs> my resolve in a lot of ways. Uh, and it's something of which that I think I, I really have grown a lot of appreciation for that I probably wouldn't have gotten living much anywhere else. And so, and, and, and Hey, you know, living in LA in your twenties is, is, is not a bad, is not a bad deal. No, it's not a bad deal. It's, it just, and it is, it's very eye opening. It's been sad for me to see uh, the golden state, which my, you know, my dad moved there when he was young from New Mexico. Uh, my mom grew up there, spent his, spent her entire life in California and to see it become what it has become. It is one of the most beautiful states one of the most beautiful places on the earth and it has been run into the ground. And I, and I, I'm just not sure why Gavin Newsom believes that what he's doing is the right thing. So before yeah. I let you go, I want to talk to you about his proposed uh, reparations, which I know you've been speaking a lot about. I am perplexed as to how people think this is a affordable but even if it were affordable, is it the right thing to do? And I'd love to get your take on that. You know, what's interesting about this entire proposal is the fact that let's just let's call it the elephant in the room. California was never even a slave state. Uh, and, and so it's so interesting that this is even a policy being advanced by the leadership in the state here and uh, to even more extreme um, in an even more extreme way in the city of San Francisco, where they're looking to give even $5 million to all of its residents per, per black resident. And, and, and here's the deal. No one alive today was a slave and no one alive today owned a slave. So who actually would even get this money or even deserves this money is absurd. And, and it's one of those things that, again, you have the, you have the Democrat party, you have progressives, you have the left who are more willing to wag a carrot, to throw money at black people that actually develop an agenda to earn their vote. And I've got to say it's offensive for them to think that the votes of black people are just up for sale and are not something that they need to earn is just frankly, it's absurd. It is offensive, CJ, but it also seems to work. I mean, I'm looking at a, a number of these people standing outside of City Hall in San Francisco saying, absolutely, we deserve these reparations. And, and I'm just wondering again, there's this disconnect between people who really believe that mm -hmm. they deserve to be given free money 
in order to make up for the sins of the past versus people like you who say this is this is demeaning. I I, I just wonder why that what's the breakdown there? Again, it's like this, this disconnect between, between people and, and between facts and, and, and again, that victim mentality, that oppressed versus oppressor. You know, I think, I think in a lot of, a lot of it has to do with a difference in values, but I think also too, it's just the reality of the situation, right? If someone were offering you $5 million for no, no, nothing that you have any control over for the record. Like no one woke up and decided that they're going to be black, but they're like, Hey, here's a $5 million check. You're going to be hard pressed to find a lot of people who wouldn't cash that check. Yeah. Um, and so I think what's interesting, and I think the, the best way to actually combat this is that we need every white person in San Francisco to start identifying as transracial and identify <laughs> as black. And I think that is the way that we actually defeat this policy. <laughs> so it's not work. a bad idea. I mean, it I worked for Rachel Dalziel for a while. So other people have tried it and it's worked. It and you worked. know what? You can identify as anything now, right? That's what I understand. I okay. woke up today, CJ, and I am identifying as a flower. So, you know, I know that I smell really aromatic. I'm blooming today. Uh, I'm blue. So I'm probably some sort of iris or, uh, I don't know, hyacinth, but that's, that's what I am today. I am a flower. <laughs> well, sometimes I identify as an alien because I watch the news and I'm like, I need to get the hell off of this planet. <laughs> where did I land? Where, where, what have we become? Well, on? let me, let me end with this. You're 20 years old. You turned 21 in July of, of this year, 2023. Yeah. Um, you're young. How do you see the youth in America? It seems like so many of them are viable with this. Let's pay off your student debt. Um, you know, all the, 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 the things that young people value today are, are a little bit different than what I grew up valuing, but they do. And I just wonder if you see more young people coming over to conservatism like you have, mm. or, or do you feel like you're swimming upstream? You know, I think that there are a lot of young people who are increasingly off-put by the radicalism of the left. I think that a lot of these policies being pushed, for example, child sex changes, the idea that, you know, transgender men should be able to compete in, in women's athletics and all of those things are genuinely off-putting for my generation. I think there are other issues, especially as it relates to young women, that they don't necessarily have um, you know, the conservative opinion of. You know, I, I, the abortion issue is one yeah. of which that I really don't see um, – I don't really see changing. I, I think there are a lot. It, it, that was a really interesting paradox for me because I, I know so many girls my age who Trump supporters, they are conservative. But when it came to Roy v. Wade being overturned, yeah. I think this has a lot to do with the messaging on the left. Um, they really felt as if they were losing a right that they feel as if that they deserved. Right. And so I think that that issue is going to be one of which it's interesting to see how that, you know, goes over the next few years, next few cycles. But I think that a lot of these other issues of wokeism are genuinely leaving a lot of young people um, saying, I don't know if I can ride with this. I don't know yeah. if I'm okay with this. I don't know if I can rubber stamp it. And I think that's going to be our opportunity. I think if we conservatives, you know, you know, I know there's a lot of, you know, people who decry the so-called culture war, but I think it's the most important war that we're fighting right now because politics is downstream from culture. And I think that if we can take back the culture, we can actually win this battle because, you know, 
also too, look at CRT, you know, telling an entire generation of young white kids that they're responsible for, uh, you know, sins and atrocities that they themselves were not even alive to commit. um, It's something that a lot of people have a lot of resentment for, and rightfully so. And so I think that as the left grows more and more radical, I think the opportunity for conservatives to win the hearts and mind of young people will only increase in growth. As you, uh, you as a conservative, last question, would you be willing to forfeit uh, the pro-life portion of the platform or say, yeah, it's a plank in, a, in the Republican platform, but it's not one we're going to, to, you know, that's not the hill we're going to die on. In other words, I've had people who have said to me, if that issue needs to be abandoned by the right, not completely, but mm-hmm. they need to say that, that you know, for instance, Lindsey Graham coming out and saying right after Roe v. Wade was overturned, you know, let's have a national ban on abortion. That scares the hell out of a lot of people. And I think mm-hmm. I personally, I'm not pro-abortion, but mm-hmm. I'm not. I, I do think women within a certain period of time in their pregnancy should have the right to make that determination. And that's mm-hmm. what makes uh, I anger a lot of conservatives for that stance. But that's how I feel. And yeah. so I I know that there's a good chunk of women in America who are going to say, no matter what else you tell me, if you tell me that you are pro-life and you are going to take my rights away as a woman, I'm not voting for you. I've seen it with my own eyes. I hear it all the time. So what do you think? Yeah, you know, I've seen that too. And I think that it's definitely going to be a question that is that a lot of people are are going to have to contend with very, very soon. You know, for me, I'm unequivocally pro-life, you know, with the, you know, the usual exceptions of rape, incest, and when the the life of the mother is is at risk. But it truly is going to be something that it's going to be a question that a lot of people contend with. I don't think that we should have to, you know, betray our values um, to win elections. I think Mm -hmm. that we should protect life. I think we should protect the unborn. Um, But I think that our position should be clear, as it has been, that Roy V. Wade, contrary to what the left has said, does not eliminate um, the ability to get an abortion. It just simply relegates the right to decide whether or not you have that right uh, to the states. You know, if you want to get an abortion, you can go to California. But in states like Alabama and Georgia and all of those things, that's not a possibility. And so I, I think that there also two conservatives are going to have to figure out how we talk about this issue in a lot uh, in a lot more delicate way, uh, tactful way. I don't think Lindsey Graham should be the person necessarily leading the charge on that issue. Why I not? Well, I think the reality of it is he's a 70 plus year old, you know, guy. And I think that a lot of young women are like, why is he talking about it? When I think there are lots of other, you know, younger women in our party who are also pro-life, who also can uh, speak to this issue um, just from a place of ex- personal experience. And and I think that, I, and again, I don't say that to mean that, you know, men cannot have an opinion on abortion. They absolutely can and they should. But at the same time, you got to think about it from an issue of how do we win more people over to the pro-life cause and the pro-life side. It's by re- meeting people where they are and where they are right now, unfortunately, is not necessarily in our camp. Well, it's uh, it is quite a contentious issue. It is one on which fundraising is built and it's going to continue to be, um, I think, forevermore. But, CJ, it is great to talk to you. Great to meet you. And I'm going to be very curious to follow your career from here on out. And I, I wish you well and I hope you'll come back. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Sideline Sanity. I, You know, CJ's a brave guy. So, like I always say, be brave. And do good. Do something good today. I don't know. Smile at someone. Give a bigger tip than you normally would. Just 
do some good. Thanks for listening. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.